Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. church. We are the people who believe in possible things. Impossible things are the only things. This world, this universe are stranger than you could ever imagine. We like to keep them in little discrete blocks because that helps us to understand how to function day by day. But the world is, the universe is larger than you can imagine and it is smaller than you could imagine. And it has been changed. Something changed everything. Before I start, just to let you know, uh, because of the th- way things are working right here and they're all going well, but we're not, we're not able to host visitors the next two Sundays. It'd be April 16th and April 23rd. Services will be as usual. You tune in on Sunday, it'll all be there for you. Uh, but then we'll be able to uh, host visitors again here, April 30th and from then on. But you know this story. There are preachers on Twitter this week saying, how do, we, how do we tell the Easter story again? Why is it so hard to write an Easter story? And I said, the reason is twofold. One, everybody knows the story. Two, you know that there are going to be people there that are only there on Easter. Uh, maybe Christmas as well, but on Easter. And people sometimes get a dig when they, oh, you're just here on Easter. Hey, if that's the only time you tune in, great. We love you. We're not going to say, where were you? We're happier here. But if they come on Easter every year, they've heard the same story. So what do you do with the story? Well, we're going to use the story to answer two questions. They are questions which you have. You may never have voiced them, but you have them. And whenever I get around to telling you what they are, you'll recognize, yes, you do have those questions. And this story has everything to do with the answer to the questions. We know that something happened outside of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. It changed the world. It, It changed the people of that day and time, and it continues to change people now. The power of that event changed their children and their neighbors and so on, and We gather today to turn mourning into dancing and tears to laughter and despair into hope. Our brothers and sisters at Covenant Church have opened up their church for Easter worship after the taking of six innocent lives just over a week ago. Don't you imagine that this story has a special power for the people that were involved by that, who are hurt by that? Don't you know that the Spirit is there? with them in a mighty way and that this story of resurrection now takes on a new depth and meaning to them well the spirit doesn't have to allocate resources the spirit is big enough to where i can say with great confidence that the spirit is with you on your couch around your table in your recliner if you are listening to the podcast doing other stuff the spirit is there because something happened And there in the video, love the video, and Kirsten is our wizard of all things wonderful that helps us do that sort of thing. 
Yeah, we can applaud Kirsten. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> there are, by the way, many of our people are traveling as well. And our numbers on Easter Sundays, normally the views dip and then midweek they go up. It's because people, you know, family came in and they've been moving about. But anyway, that video, something happened to Peter. And I always like to remind people that Newton's laws, while they don't work whenever you get into quantum stuff, they're pretty good things to remember that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Something happened to change Peter. I love Peter. I have a lot in common with Peter. Peter was brash. He spoke before he thought. He acted before he thought. He did everything before he thought and ended up making a lot of mistakes, but making them thoroughly and with enthusiasm. And I, for some reason, I really, I really relate to him. But whatever happened to Peter profoundly changed him. And I think of it, he denied Christ three times. Um, that's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. But I truly believe, if I'm being honest with myself, I probably would have done the same. Because I didn't know the end of the story. There hadn't been an Easter Sunday yet. This had not happened. So it was cowardly, but I would submit understandable. And then we see him, just over a month later, a thoroughly changed individual, standing in front of the collected people of Israel and accusing them of killing the Son of God, bravely standing there. Peter addresses in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited to you by, by, by God, by miracles, signs, wonders, which God did among you. As you yourselves know, that this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, as David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay, you have made known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently, that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. In verse 36, Therefore, now remember, this is a guy that was a coward a month ago. Standing now looking at the vast multitude of the gathered Israelites for Passover. And he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What happened to Peter? Well, Easter happened. Peter had always been quick to declare that Jesus was the Son of God. We know that. We've read. We know Matthew. We know the story. We, we even see he was willing to die for Jesus. He charged into the crowd to stop the arrest. I don't doubt that for a second. He even showed his willingness to die for Jesus and to kill for Jesus. 
but that's not what Jesus wanted. Peter was still Peter. He had never shown. He was willing to die for him. He was willing to kill for him. But he'd never shown he was willing to change for him. And you see, that's the thing. We can be willing to do an awful lot for Jesus, but are we willing to change? Well, I'm not here to beat you down, not on a resurrection day. But you see, something happened to Peter that's only mentioned one time by one of the gospel writers. Peter hadn't seen Jesus after the crucifixion, obviously. His last memories have been tortured ones. He denied his friends. He denied his Lord. How lost he had to feel. He'd, he'd, he'd bet everything he had, emotionally, occupationally, everything on this Jesus being the one who was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Christ, the promised one, the one that was going to reestablish the throne. They were going to be free at last from Rome, from sin, from all things, and they would be great. And now Jesus is dead, killed like a common criminal, humiliated. How lost Peter had to have felt. How inadequate, how hopeless. By the way, it must be said, the women gathered at the tomb while the men hid in a room. And the Bible makes sure we know that. But then Luke 24, 34, the only mention of what happened to Peter. Whenever they got up and went to Jerusalem, they found the 11, uh, these, these ladies. And they say, you know, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two were told what had happened on the way. These are the men on the road to Emmaus who had returned. Why did he pick out Simon Peter? What was said? We're not given any details. Would you think about that for a minute? Would those details be helpful? Yes. Would they be interesting? No, they'd be fascinating. We would endlessly rejoice in seeing what Jesus said to Simon. And even though it would have been of great benefit to us, it might have shamed Peter. And so Jesus left it out. The dignity of Peter and his privacy was worth more. How much, we used to sing an old song, does Jesus care when my heart, and, and the whole chorus would go, oh yes, we care, he cares, we, I know he cares. Yeah, he stops church for the blind beggar Bartimaeus, more on that in two weeks, on the 23rd. And we know the name of a blind beggar in first century Jerusalem, which just still stuns me. Why would we know his name? Well, because Jesus thought it was important that we know him. But when Jesus healed him, he took him aside and didn't say, I'll heal you. He just said, what would you like for me to do for you? That's who came out of the grave later. A God who cares about your feelings, cares about your hurts, cares about your privacy, cares about your dignity. There's, there's so much more. All we can do is backward engineer and say something happened to Peter that changed him into a lion of God. He must have received forgiveness, hope, acceptance, and unconditional love because Jesus wanted to meet with Peter. More than that, later on, Jesus entrusted him with a great job. Feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. 
Peter was then confident enough to stand on the day of Pentecost and, and confront the assembled people of Israel with the crime they had committed against God. And by the way, this is not anti-Semitic because they were all stand-ins for all humankind. All humankind did it. The poem that's in the newsletter when Jesus came to Birmingham, and that is how it's pronounced, by the way, in England, Birmingham, um, I think nails it, that we would have done the same, perhaps in a different way. We might have canceled him, shamed him, deplatformed him, but he wouldn't do it back. He would love in return. And so when Peter addresses the crowd and, with the, and tells them the crime they've committed, they turn, obviously, in, in despair. And what does Peter do? Immediately stops the accusation and starts with the hope. Immediately starts with the hope and stops the accusation. There might be a lesson there for us as well. Well, back in Acts chapter 2 then. I may as well read it because the story is here. And I want you to know where it is. In Acts chapter 2, as he closes, he looks at them and says, you, you crucified the Messiah. When people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? That's an excellent question. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and maybe God will forgive you. No, he didn't say that. He said, do this for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all of those who are afar off, all whom our Lord God may call. Do you notice how immediately open Peter was? Stopped with all of the others. As soon as they understood, he said, here is your way out and it is guaranteed you will receive this. What an incredible change in the middle of a sermon. I can tell you, it's not that easy to plant one foot and swing around 180 degrees. He did. And the result was, they changed the last few verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their, their number daily those who were being saved. I, it, was, it was a change. A change in Peter, a change in them. What about in us? Maybe what is holding us back are a couple of questions we have. Easter's a special day, a holy day, a high holy day, perhaps, arguably, the most high day in the Christian calendar. And if you don't know why it moves around, it's because it's matched to the Jewish calendar that goes by moons instead of our calendar, Gregorian, that goes by the sun. So, yeah, this is a pretty good guess at the exact anniversary. We celebrate the risen Lord on this day, and we celebrate him every day by a changed life. We live out the reality of a risen Lord by a changed life. It, it's not always fun when I open up my email and see somebody, I don't recognize the name usually, and they'll say, are you the Patrick Mead who, and they'll talk about a place or time, and some of them, yeah, 
that was me. And I'll respond, yes, that was me. And I remember one when we were in Colorado came out. I can't say what they said because they used words, which if you need those words, they're everywhere else. I don't need to supply them. But it basically, basically boiled down to what in the world happened to you? Because back then, I was evidently more like them. And now they look and I'm more like a new Patrick. And I would just write back, Jesus happened. And invite the discussion. By the way, Jesus is still happening. Every day is resurrection day. He's not done changing me yet. I certainly hope not. And I, I know that he's not done changing you either. Easter goes further than just forgiveness of sins. Just defeating death. Doesn't that sound silly to say? Because that would be enough, wouldn't it? In fact, I'd tell you that one of those would be enough. Either defeating death or forgiving of our sins. He did both, but he did more than that. It answers the two fundamental questions that lie in the depth of our spirits and haunt us every day. And the first one is, am I okay? After lessons, after whatever I'm doing, people sometimes will do in a live chat or they'll do, they'll send me emails or if they're here in person, they'll tell me that they, you know, I did a great job. That always is encouraging. It's always helpful, but it's Cammie's opinion that matters. You understand that, right? Because she knows me. She knows if I'm living what I'm saying. For, for years and years, a couple decades, I did family seminars and people would ask me, you know, they'd look at my family and they'd say, you have such a fantastic family. How you do, how do you do that? I said, first of all, God gets all the credit. Second, uh, you, you give a family seminar and then drive home 400 miles with your wife. If you're not living it, you're going to hear about it. Her opinion is the one that matters. Am I okay? A child is born. What do they do? Nurses check them over quickly. As a mother asks, is she okay? Is he okay? They, a woman checks herself in the mirror adjusts her dress, puts on some perfume perhaps, and wonders, am I okay? A man looks at his bank balance, his hairline, his waistline, his ability to work, muscle tone that may have gone flat, and wonders, am I okay? Every kid on the playground, every boy and girl wonders, are they smart enough, good-looking enough, interesting enough? Do they fit in? Are they okay and in response, God gives us Easter. Even before then, he gave us a clue. A lot of clues, really. But Psalm 119, if you want to read something this afternoon as an Easter devotional quietly, it's a longer psalm. I'll grant you that. But there are longer ones, and I could have you know, done that to you. But Psalm, I said 119. That's a long one. Don't go there. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. That before I was born, God, you knew me. And your eyes saw my unseen form before it was come together. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. And you put one arm around me and another arm on me. And you were guiding me. And even when I'm standing up, sitting down, lying down, speaking, everything about me, you understand and know. Wow. You were in the dreams of the Father. You were in his plans. 
You were made on purpose, woven in secret. You were in his thoughts and his heart before you were even born. Does that sound too good to be true? Well, it gets better. If you've ever watched some of the shows that older people seem to enjoy, it, it might be, um, you know, Pawn Stars or Antique Roadshow or uh, a, a car auction or any of these uh, where you bring it in and uh, tell the expert, you know, do I have something or not? You know that something's only worth what somebody will pay for it. You can buy an old car and really fix it up. And by the way, that's a lot of fun. We did that once. But do so understanding you're doing this for fun because you're never going to get the money back. You're never. You're going to pour $20,000 into a $10,000 car. But it's okay if you're doing that because you enjoy it. But whenever you want to sell it and somebody goes, That's, I'll give you 10, don't get all insulted because it's only worth what somebody will pay. So we come to Easter and God knew you would always wonder, you will always wonder, am I okay? And he knew you'd have a serious feeling that the world and you weren't okay. He knew that once you heard the story of Jesus, you'd wonder if you're good enough to be in the family of God. You wonder if you're sitting there on your couch alone, does God even notice me? Does God need me? Well, God knew that the enemies that he had would be the enemies that you have. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, the world's been our enemy, has it not? Or we wouldn't have had a covenant school shooting. We wouldn't have had riots in the streets. We wouldn't have had these things if the world was not our enemy telling us constantly that we're not good enough. You need a better car. You need to dress better. Your weight's wrong. You're, you, need to, you need to look like this. Here's plastic surgery for you. All the time saying, you need this. You don't look right. The flesh. When you look in the mirror, and it's hard to look in the mirror, honestly. It really is. Sometimes I'll look in the mirror and go, not so bad. Somebody will take me a picture of me and I'll go, oh dear. Because you see, mirrors lie and pictures don't. And that's really frustrating. Unless you touch them up and put them on Instagram and we all know you're doing it, so stop. And then the devil, who will always tell you that God isn't providing for you. He's holding out on you. He doesn't need you and he's disappointed with you. He knows his enemies are your enemies, that they're going to find that sore spot in your soul and push at it. So how, how can he demonstrate to you that you are okay and that you are worth far more than you could ever imagine? By giving you gifts, by coming down and visiting with you, holding your hands and looking at you in the eye, that, that would be great, that would be fantastic, but it wouldn't last. You'd wonder tomorrow, and you'd wonder the next day. You can't get this answered by the world. Too many thorns and storms out there. Can you get, you know, all of your I'm okay from family? No. Sometimes that's pretty good, but not always, because they have the same worries you have. And all the people around you that have been telling you you're not good enough, you're too much of this and too much of that, and that you're not like this, and please understand that they are nothing but funhouse mirrors, warped, giving you an untrue picture of yourself because they themselves are receiving untrue pictures in return. So God upped the ante. He gave something so valuable for you that the devil can't touch it. The devil can't spoil it. He gave you his son. I only have one daughter. 
one son. And I love you, but I will not give up either for you. Period. When my son put on the, the uniform of the Marine Corps, I was very, very proud of him. But I didn't want him to die for you. And I would, and, and he didn't. By the way, those who don't know the story, he's fine. He's out of the Corps, safe and fine. I might die for you. You know, especially the older I get, it's kind of like, oh, why not? Didn't have anything else planned. But I'm not God. And my opinion won't do that much for you and my death won't really help you. But as David and Gideon learned, Gideon, who was living the life of a coward, was greeted by the angel of God who said, Hail, mighty warrior. And he wasn't being sarcastic. Because just like with Daniel, when he appeared to Daniel and Daniel was terrified, he said, don't, don't be afraid. You are highly esteemed in heaven. Well, that's good for Gideon and Daniel. What about you? You are highly esteemed in heaven. I can prove it because of Easter. Because that's what he could do that... And the world can't trump that. The world can't. Okay, so God died for you and loved you, but your clothes don't look good. No, I'm sorry. That's not going to help. You do not hold a trump card here. The second question is a question that rolls forward in your life. And teens, uh, I know a lot of teens listen to the podcast. We'll talk to you. I understand that people keep telling you that you're full of potential and you're not reaching it. Well, the people telling you that have not reached their potential either. The questions roll forward. This one is a second big one that you'll never get rid of. Am I up for this? Am I able to face what's coming? It might be job loss, disability. It might be marriage trouble, an unplanned pregnancy, the death of a loved one, a shooting, it might be a cross. If we stopped the Easter story at the cross, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. We're worth more than diamonds because Jesus died for us. But the central fact of history is not the cross alone. The central fact of history is the empty tomb. Many people have died. One came back. One defeated death. There were other resurrections, people been brought back from the dead in the scripture, and I believe them. But somebody else brought them back. Only one brought himself back. Well, that gives us the answer to the second question. Jesus knows we're afraid that we're not up to the task and whatever that task might be. He knows we're afraid we cannot carry what life has piled on our backs. And so he says, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. I've got you. I've got you. I can remember when wildfires in Colorado approached our home. <clears throat> in reality, they were miles away. But they were moving so fast, nobody knew the moment they would hit our home. And again, it didn't hit our home. We're okay. But I can remember when it hit the news, my son who lived in Detroit at the time, he was in the reserves, uh, he, he called his mother and said, I can get in the truck and I can be there. I can be there and I'm not going to say how fast he was because we have law enforcement officers who might be listening. And it wouldn't be under the radar because he had a truck that was pretty much the size of Sheboygan 
But he said, I'll be there. We told him, you don't need to be there. Be all right. But it was so comforting to know, I'll help you. I'll be there. I got your back. There's nothing better than that. And Jesus saying, I got this. Jesus broke death's back. He gave the the devil a mortal wound. He robbed the grave. And then he didn't go away. He is present with us. Oh, so many scriptures to read. Uh, Romans 8, the entire chapter, if you're interesting, interested, but I'll just do one verse. Uh, Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and remember that was promised in Acts 2, to the baptized. He said, if the spirit is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Far too often we read this as, all right, Jesus was raised from the dead, so he'll save us. That's not what it said. It said you can do this. He will give life to your mortal bodies. It's his strength that will drive this body, your body, to do for him, to, yeah, make you up for this, whatever the this is. Can you face whatever you are facing? Can you carry the load on your back? Can you make it through whatever pain you're experiencing? Can you survive, even thrive, in ways that make the devil's jaw drop? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe I can't say you got this. Fair enough. What I can say is he's got you. So, yeah, you'll get it. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He has given. This is already done, people. It's already done. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So don't let the devil tell you, yes, he did that for me, but then look what I did. This gift doesn't fade. This gift cannot be spoiled by humans. That's how much he loves you. He says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. And in other words, not shielded by your perfection, not shielded by your doctrinal precision, not shielded by any of the things that we measure our lives by, but he's got you. You're up for this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little you may have to suffer grief in all times of trials. And he reads on, and I hope that you do too. I hope you read it. I hope you absorb it. You see, the cross is empty because Christ is with us. The grave is empty because the Lord is risen. Years ago, and and the controversy continues, They found an ossuary in Israel as they were digging. I think this is about 30 years ago now, 25 perhaps. And if you don't know an ossuary, uh, when you were buried in the cave back then, they put you on a shelf, but you didn't get to keep it. When the the grave got all filled up, the shelves filled up, uh, the next person, you know, first in is the one who goes out. They would put your bones in a box. And this is a very elaborate ivory box 
carved and therefore must have belonged to a powerful family. And in fact, carved on the side, was, it was from the family of Caiaphas, high priest. Now, about half archaeologists, uh, archaeologists believe it is of the high priest of Jesus' time, half don't, regardless. My first thought was, when they, I saw the box, I was thinking, the people who condemned Jesus to the cross, we have your bones. Where are his? The Lord is risen. And that answers the deepest questions in our hearts. And it doesn't just give us reason to hope. It gives us assurance in our hope. Almighty God, the resurrection of your son has given us new life and renewed hope. Help us to live as new people in pursuit of the Christian ideal. Grant us wisdom to know what we must do, the will to want to take it, the courage to undertake it, the perseverance to continue to do it, and the strength to complete it. Jesus, you have conquered death and conquered every fear we could possibly imagine. Help us to live each day remembering that you are alive and that you are bigger than anything or any situation and that your power is real. We choose today and forevermore to walk with him who walks with us. And in his name, the church says, amen. amen.